I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From WETA Classical in Washington, we're your guide to classical music. In this episode, I'm joined by WETA Classical's Evan Keeley, and we're sharing with you six 21st century works written by six different women. You may already know some of these, but we also hope you'll find a new favorite as well. From music for solo cello, a concerto, a string quartet, and more, there is something here for everyone. And after listening, you'll find more resources on music written by women and a Spotify playlist of all the music on our show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. I've been very much looking forward to this episode, Evan. I think we really have something for everyone, regardless of their favorite style or genre or even time period in music. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this too, John. I have to admit, though, there's uh, I bring some anxiety to this episode of Classical Breakdown. I feel like as a podcast co-host, I'm supposed to say something intelligent and interesting, and I'm supposed to be well-informed. And in fact, the honest truth is I'm really at the beginnings of learning about the composers that we're going to be talking about today. So what I'm hoping to accomplish is not to pass on some profound wisdom, not that I ever do that anyway, but uh, to just really kindle in our listeners as this music has kindled in me a growing interest and that folks will want to hear more and learn more. They'll go to the show notes page and they'll find out more about these and other composers that we'll be talking about today. It's just an incredibly exciting time to be alive and the music we'll be exploring today is really, really thrilling. Absolutely. Very well put, Evan. I'll start with the the first piece here. It's by Caroline Shaw, and it's called Three Essays. And Shaw is an American composer that you see a lot of today. She became the youngest Pulitzer Prize winning composer in 2013. She has several Grammys, including multiple appearances on Grammy winners this year. Yale gave her an honorary doctorate as well. And she might be the most performed living composer on our Monday evening program at WETA Classical Front Row, Washington. So the work I want to share is her three essays for a string quartet, which the Ataka Quartet recorded last year on an album of music all written by Caroline Shaw called Evergreen. Her three essays are based on various types of language or communication. The first one is called Nimrod, the second is Echo, then the last one is called Ruby. Looking at the first essay, Nimrod, it's based on the biblical figure of the same name, who in some versions of the story is the one who orders the building of the Tower of Babel, which you can also find in a variety of cultures, I think, to explain the the origin of, uh, of different languages. In the music, it feels like there are sections here in this first essay where different members of the quartet or sections are playing at the same time, but they're maybe talking past each other with the added context that this is really um, based on uh, on language, these essays. It reminds me sometimes, Evan, you know, you're in a conversation with somebody, you're both agreeing on the same thing, but maybe you're talking past each other or just kind of uh, missing the point, or even worse, you're on the side watching that happen with, um, with uh, two people. There's this really interesting interaction between violin and lower strings that shows this aspect, and you hear it in other parts as well miscommunication maybe and the end it's really sudden it's uh, very dramatic and it kind of sounds like a tower for instance completely collapsing um, into itself and it leads right into the next essay called echo 
which is inspired by something we experience today, especially online, what we call echo chambers. This entire work, though, Evan, was composed in 2016, and I want to read the catalyst for the work as described in liner notes I found online. Shaw was deeply troubled by the national unrest leading to and resulting from that year's presidential election. She saw language being used to spread information about current events, but also and increasingly to spread confusion and misinformation. What's even really more interesting, I think, Evan, is that this was written in 2016. She could not have imagined what would come in the next seven years now in 2023 and how, I think, um, impactful or kind of important this is. The opening to this one, it's haunting. It's kind of like something I've never really heard before. There's these scraping along these strings before seamlessly flowing into a, a brief chord. And it's very uh, meditative and a little bit haunting. The Ataka Quartet really stretches these out. There's other performances where they're a little bit shorter, but um, they're really, really digging into the music. It makes your hair stand up. There's a frenetic um, middle section, but then it returns to these simple chords again in the final minute. And again, these long, slow, scratching glissandos, very, very haunting. The third essay is Ruby. Now, the title Ruby refers to a programming language developed in Japan in the mid-90s, but also the pretty gemstone for which the language was named. Reading from other liner notes I found online, the music is dotted with repeated and insistent Ds, which seem almost like a binary code surrounding the melodic fragments. The third essay points to the increasing integration of language and technology in our society's future. This also feels to me, Evan, like, like a race, as if our time is limited in successfully accomplishing this, peacefully integrating technology um, and, and language. And we can't forget, she wrote this in 2016. This has um, only grown, I think, in its um, importance since then. She uses a lot of um, glissando in the music in her writing. where strings are in the same direction or in various directions, slowly scrape or just um, play every single note sliding along the fingerboard in some of these um, transitions. The last thing I'll say about this is this is on an album of all music written by Shaw. And to be honest, this is not even my favorite one, but it's great to, I think, share here for our purposes. I've not listened to an album quote-unquote classical music album this many times in a row in a very long time. So I highly recommend this one and, in fact, the, the whole album if you, uh, you want to as well. So that's Three Essays, Evan, by Caroline Shaw. John, the first piece that I want to talk about is called We Come Paddling Here. The composer is Barbara Correll. She was born in 1966. She lives in Canada. She is an Odawa First Nation composer. Her musical and cultural heritage is of the Anishinaabe. 
And from an early age, she has been immersed in that culture as well as many other influences. She studied the uh, pipiguan, which is a wind instrument of the uh, Anishinaabe, and the dueigan, which is a percussion instrument. But she also studied piano from an early age, and growing up, she then went on to study composition at the Hochschule für Musik in Munich, and she also got uh, a degree from the University of Toronto. I find there's a kind of a storytelling aspect to a lot of her music. You can almost hear a kind of speech, a kind of musical speech in a lot of her music. You really get a sense from listening to what she's had to say in some videos that I found online uh, about how she is invoking these different traditions into which uh, she has formed her identity. And the, this storytelling aspect includes a kind of use of these, a lot of sliding in the music, a lot of glissandi in string instruments and so forth, these kind of microtonal aspects that evoke these, uh, these Native American kinds of sounds and this sense of telling a story, a sense of a narrative that comes through her music. It also has an Anishinaabe name, which I, I tried to reach out on uh, a Facebook page where I found a performance of this and ask about the correct pronunciation of this this uh, Anishinaabe word, which is, I presume, the uh, the title we come paddling here in that language. And not knowing, not having gotten a response, uh, I feel a little self-conscious and feel like I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. So you can see it on the show notes page and uh, find a link to this performance uh, by this ensemble called uh, Ensemble Made in Canada. And it's uh, these four women playing this uh, a piano quartet, uh, three stringed instruments and a piano. And the piece is about five minutes long. And it's this wonderful evocation of life on the water in the, the region of Lake Huron where Barbara Crowell grew up and where her, her ancestry has been located for so many generations. And you hear these different effects in the music which evoke, as I said, some of it sounds a little bit to me like a kind of a pointillistic tradition like you'd associate with a composer like Anton Webern. And then you hear these other effects which have this whole other dimension to them. Around three minutes into the piece, there's a special effect where the pianist reaches into the string, holds a finger down on a string, and then with the other hand strikes the keys. And there's this kind of this percussive, it sounds like a drum. kind of sounds out the rhythm of the piece in this drumming-like way. In the final minute of the piece, the strings have this effect where they do uh, what's called a harmonic, where the string player touches the string, rather pressing it down all the way. They just touch it, and you draw the bow across the string, and there's this very high kind of whistle tone. You hear this a lot in string playing, but what uh, Barbara Crowell does in this piece is she has the string players slide their finger along the, the bridge of the instrument, so you have this glissando effect, and it sounds exactly like birds. It's just this incredible uh, sonority. You know, we hear uh, this, the evocation of birds in a lot of music. You think of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony and Vivaldi's Four Seasons. That's a wonderful tradition. This is a whole other dimension, and uh, it's, the piece ends with this this, this kind of um, this thrilling, weird, wonderful sound that just brings you out onto the water in a way that's like nothing I've experienced. Uh, really exciting music by Barbara Coel. We Come Paddling Here is the name of the piece.
The next piece I want to talk about is by Laura Kaminsky. It's a piano concerto. And I wanted to share this one because, one, well, I like it, but two, because it is something familiar in name. People will recognize, oh, I know what a piano concerto is, but the sound might be um, quite different. You also don't see a lot of modern contemporary piano concertos in part because composers are doing other things, but it's also expensive to to produce and to perform. So the instruments used here are, of course, piano and then single winds, meaning one oboe, one clarinet, one bassoon, etc. For brass, there's one horn, two trumpets, one trombone, and then there's the string sections, and then two percussionists playing a long list of instruments like vibraphone, tam-tam, three gongs, three wood blocks, bass drum, and four graduated drums. So as you might guess, with all of those different instruments, this work is actually quite colorful. Now, the composer, Laura Kaminsky, she's an American composer, and just to read a few quotes here, the New York Times said she has an ear for the new and interesting. And American Record Guide said, her music is full of fire as well as ice, contrasting dissonance and violence with tonal beauty and meditative reflection. I think these two quotes are perfect in describing this work as well, her piano concerto, which she completed in 2011. So what was the inspiration here? Kaminsky said, visual images are the source. And reading from her program notes, she says, in particular, the light on both the Hudson River, which I see from my window in the Bronx, and on the Neva River in St. Petersburg, Russia, where I had been a Ruskimir Foundation Cultural Fellow in 2009. The notions of flow and stasis and reflection and absorption are addressed musically in one extended movement, and the music came out of improvisation. The concerto commences with a piano cadenza that serves as a conceptual basis for the rest of the work. And that's exactly what happens. It starts with this uh, piano cadenza that is kind of angular or blocky, and from there, the music grows with all the other instruments coming in. Now, this does feel improvisatory. In fact, it reminds me of one of our first episodes ever, which featured Alistair Coleman talking about the process of composing. One practice some use is just sitting down at an instrument, a piano, for example, and just start just start playing and just see what comes out without judgment, just making sound or um, even noise. Some record themselves, some write it down. Either way, this results in a sound that can be very gestural and suggestive in a, in a composition. Now, I don't know if that's what she does, but I can really imagine as I'm hearing this, sitting at a piano or even standing, looking out the window at the Hudson River and one hand at the piano and just reacting instinctively, impulsively to the reflected light off of the water. And I think that's another, uh, that's one way to demonstrate that New York Times quote of her having an ear for the new and the interesting. Now, you're not going to walk away from this piece humming a particular tune, at least the first time, and I highly recommend you listen with an open mind all the way through, and then listen to it again in, in a day or in a week. Set a reminder if you have to. Even if you think, you know what, this isn't for me, listen to it again. You're going to come away with something different or, or, or a different um, opinion. So within this, it feels very gestural, very improvisatory. There's lines that come and go. 
reappearing in different sections or in fragments. And really, there's so much happening. Every single time I hear this concerto, I hear something different every single time. And almost Evan, every single time, I also get startled. And I almost don't want to even share this musically um, with people to kind of spoil it. But there's an instance of a certain instrument that every single time startles me. I know it's coming, but it always catches me off guard. And there's a lot of great interactions between um, um, some of the sections. The end, it's kind of haunting in the sound and also maybe in the feeling too. There's these high strings with this long sustain. And they actually, when you listen to it more and more, they start much earlier than I think you um, you realize. And I think this is where it comes to the point of where she was describing flow, stasis, reflection, and absorption. Absorption is kind of what I'm hearing. The sun is flecting and then slowly the the light is absorbed in the water as the sun goes away or, or whatever. That's just my over imagine my overactive imagination. But I really love this one. It's great. She has a lot of other great music you, you can listen to as well. And it's just one that no matter how many times you listen, you're going to hear something new every time. And we'll get into our next recommendation right after this. Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music, is made possible by WETA Classical. Join us for the music and insightful commentary anytime, day or night. You can stream the music online at wetaclassical.org or in the WETA Classical app. It's free in the App Store. So, Evan, what do we have next? What's another work we can recommend? I want to talk about Dr. Enkiro Okoye, American composer born in 1972. Her father is from Nigeria, and so she draws on that heritage as well as other influences in her music. She and I are about the same age, and she also, like me, grew up mostly on Long Island, so I feel a certain... Uh, connection to her there. She studied music and Africana studies at Oberlin, and then she got graduate degrees from Rutgers. Uh, She got a lot of attention in 2002 with an orchestral work entitled Voices Shouting Out, and it's a musical response to 9-11. Another thing that's gotten a lot of attention uh, was her opera, Harriet Tubman, When I Crossed That Line to Freedom, uh, came out in 2014. It was commissioned by American Opera Projects, and she also wrote the libretto for that opera. She's written quite a few works for the stage, a lot of uh, orchestral music, some chamber works, uh, really an interesting composer doing a lot of fascinating things in different media uh, and different genres. The piece that I wanted to talk about by Enkiru Okoye is called Yuba's Dance. It's written in 2020, and it is named after the Nigerian ethnomusicologist and composer Dr. Akin Yuba, and he died in 2020. I don't know if this piece is a memorial for him, but Dr. Okoye met him and was influenced by him. We were talking earlier about the piano as a percussion instrument, and... uh, One of Dr. Yuba's uh, themes in his scholarship was how uh, he coined the phrase African pianism, uh, the tendency in his observation of African composers to use the piano in a a percussive way. And uh, Dr. Okoye, when she came across this scholarly writing, was really struck by how she had been doing that herself without having 
uh, heard the phrase. So she is evoking uh, Dr. Yuba's scholarship and his his music and his compositions in this tribute to him, Yuba's Dance, uh, work for solo cello that is dedicated to the cellist Matt Heimovitz, uh, who performed it on his album that's included on our Spotify playlist. The whole piece is about five minutes long. It's not a long piece, uh, but really a fascinating journey in that short amount of time. And it opens up with this very edgy, uh, sort of ambiguous, rhythmic, uh, rhythmically and tonally, it, it starts off, you don't know what key you're in, you don't know where the beat is, and then into the first minute or so, it kind of sways into this dance-like rhythm. And then goes into this, uh, this, this lyrical passage, which is very... Uh, very thoughtful and pensive without being sentimental. And and as the piece progresses, this lyricism reverts back to the edginess with which the piece begins. And there's this kind of combination of humor and uh, a kind of a fierceness in this music that I find really thrilling. Uh, I really recommend a good listen to Yuba's Dance by Enkiro Okoye. The last one I have to recommend is by Jesse Montgomery. It's called Starburst. And this is another composer that has been heard quite frequently on Front Row Washington, both as a composer, but also as a violinist in the public quartet. She is a recipient of the Leonard Bernstein Award from the ASCAP Foundation, the Sphinx Medal of Excellence, and is currently the composer in residence with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra through 2024. So the work I want to share from her, Starburst, it's an earlier one, one she wrote 11 years ago now in 2012. And I also thought it was kind of relevant today, still, as we see some now very major advancements in science, especially with the James Webb Space Telescope, which I think has already started to alter our understanding of some aspects of space, but it's a really great work. From the program notes on her website, she describes Starburst A brief one-movement work for string orchestra is a play on imagery of rapidly changing musical colors. Exploding gestures are juxtaposed with gentle fleeting melodies in an attempt to create a multi-dimensional soundscape. A common definition of a starburst, the rapid formation of large numbers of new stars in the galaxy at a rate high enough to alter the structure of the galaxy significantly, lends itself almost literally to the nature of the performing ensemble who premiered the work, the Sphinx Virtuosi, and I wrote the piece with their dynamic in mind. Her description is basically all you really need to know about this piece. It really speaks for itself. It's the shortest one I have to recommend. It's less than four minutes, but there's a lot happening. There's all kinds of glimmer and really multi-dimensional soundscape that she describes. She's really pulling it off here. The description says it all, and I think the thing here is, besides it speaks for itself, is that a good sign, I think, for a work, Evan, is when it's when it ends and you're almost upset it's over. Like, how, if that's it? There's, there's, is there another movement? Is there more? Is there, some, is there an updated uh, second part to this? It really, really leaves you wanting more. And the good news is it comes from an album entirely of her music. So there's a lot more to enjoy. And I think this is a great one to introduce people to um, Jesse Montgomery who don't know her already.
Okay, Evan. So, what do we have for our final one? I wanted to talk about Anna Klein, who's another composer who's been very successful. She was born in 1980 in London. She has a Bachelor of Music from the University of Edinburgh, and then she got a Master's from the Manhattan School of Music, and she's been living for the last couple of years in upstate New York. Very successful composer, a lot of attention, a lot of performances of her music around the world. She's currently composer in residence with the Philharmonia Orchestra, as well as the Trondheim Symphony Orchestra, where Han Na Chang has been the music director for the last half dozen years or so. And in the past, uh, some of her residencies include, but are not limited to, the composer in residence with the Baltimore Symphony and the Chicago Symphony. I want to talk about this one piece by Anna Klein, Masquerade, which was written for the 2013 Last Night of the Proms. The Proms, of course, the big summer music festival in London. Uh, the BBC has been running it for many years. Worldwide, a big event in the, uh, the summer music scene. And Last Night of the Proms is this kind of this big, uh, big finale. So 2013, uh, Anna Klein wrote this piece, Masquerade. And it's evoking the tradition of the proms and what that whole kind of thing represents, this uh, going back to the 18th century and people coming to these English pleasure gardens to hear music and to see acrobats and theatrical performances and so forth. And in this piece, Anna Klein is evoking that tradition and all the many dimensions of it from the very elegant and sophisticated and respectable to things that are maybe a little bit more edgy, uh, maybe a little bit more naughty and exciting. Uh, and as she puts it, uh, the uh, uh, entertainment that ranged from the sedate to the salacious in terms of her program notes for this piece. And she's uh, evoking that tradition. There's a sense of this chorus at the at the beginning of the piece welcoming the the revelers, the masqueraders, to this festival of music and art and celebration of life. And you hear this melody, which is fragmentary for the first minute or so of the piece, and then it bursts forth after about a minute in the full orchestra. This marvelous color that kind of sweeps you along with this sense of welcome and celebration. And that's one of the two themes that are prominent in this piece. And the other one is actually an evocation of a very old English melody, which first appeared in John Playford's The English Dancing Master, which is a collection of uh, dance instructions and musical pieces that were uh, published in numerous editions starting in 1695. So there's this, uh, this, this, evocation of the past. It's a, in many ways an English past, but it also transcends the boundaries of any one uh, genre or one particular place or tradition and combining that sense of, as I said, the, the very sophisticated and respectable kinds of entertainments with things which are maybe uh, a little bit more racy and uh, combining all that together in this wonderful feeling of celebration. And the piece is actually dedicated to the promers, the people that go to the proms. Uh, and this, uh, there's this jaggedness to this piece I find quite arresting. Uh, 
it, it, it does have this celebratory and elegant style, but there's also constant changes that are happening. You were mentioning this, John, with some of the things that are surprising in music. And, you know, even though you've heard the piece many times, you were saying uh, it surprises you every time. I've had that same kind of experience listening to this piece by Anna Klein. Uh, kind of sweeps you along, keeps lulling you into a sense of feeling like you, you, you should know what's coming next. And then something weird happens that immediately seems surprising and startling, and yet also seems like it's the only thing that could have happened. I remember Leonard Bernstein making a comment along those lines. He's talking in a lecture many years ago about Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, this idea that surprises seem uh, in, the, in the hands of a really gifted composer. Uh, a musical surprise seems both startling and also like, well, of course, what else could have happened? Anna Klein's music gives me that feeling. Uh, I certainly feel that in this piece. Her music is accessible, but it doesn't pander. It's very sophisticated. There's a lot of complexity to it, but you don't feel sort of intellectually browbeaten by it. It is very, uh, very sophisticated, very intellectual music, but it doesn't have a coldness about it. And she has this wonderful sense of sonority. The orchestration is very rich and beautiful and just sweeps you along. I really recommend this and other music by Anna Klein. Beautiful. Sweeps you along. That's definitely a, a description I would use for, uh, for that work as well. Well, those are just a few other recommendations we have. We will have more resources on music written by women and a Spotify playlist of the music we just talked about and more on the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for joining me and talking about this, um, well, music written by living composers. It's always exciting to share this kind of stuff. And as I said earlier, John, you know, I'm really still at the very beginnings of learning about this and so many other living composers around the world and just really hoping that uh, I can continue to engage and learn and discover more and that our listeners will feel inspired to do likewise. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music. For more information on this episode, visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. You can send me comments and episode ideas to classicalbreakdown at weta.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review in your podcast app. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from WETA Classical. <laughs>